Yeah, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis. We're going to really key in on chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, but we'll briefly pass through uh, beginning in chapter 11, verse 27. <clears throat> Let's pray, and then we'll look at God's Word together. Father, thank you as we have as we have worshipped, as we have uh, worshipped through song this morning, we thought about uh, the sacrifice of Christ. We've thought about the, the power of the gospel to transform us. Uh, Father, the, uh, the, the power of the gospel to enable us to obey, uh, to act as your witnesses uh, in our communities and in the world around us. And what an incredible thing that is. We thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. We thank you for your grace. And we recognize that what you have called us to is beyond us. And so we thank you for the enablement that you give in the gospel. We thank you that your spirit is with us to help us, to change us, to work in us and then through us. Otherwise, Father, truly the, the task you've given us would be impossible. So thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And we thank you for your word, Father. We, we, we don't worship your word, but Father, we know that your word points us to you. And our heart's desire is you, Father, to know you, to know Christ. And we thank you that your word points us in that direction. And so, Father, as you have revealed yourself through your word, we pray that we would uh, not just understand it, we want to do that, but Father, more than that, we want to know what you want us to know about you, and that that might inform what we know about us, that it might work itself out as we leave this place today and go about our, our weeks. Father, thank you. Would you take a few moments uh, quietly, don't say anything out loud, but just pray that God would speak to your heart this morning through his word. And then would you take a moment again silently and just pray for me, pray that God would speak through me what he wants to say. Again, thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, around the turn of the 20th century, there was a, a fellow named William Borden uh, in the U.S. And William Borden was the son uh, of the Borden family who were uh, in, in the dairy business, and they were millionaires in the dairy business. They were, or were key, uh, key players. And so William Borden was the heir to the, uh, the Borden dairy uh, fortune, right? So it was, it was milk money, and uh, he had a lot of it, and he was the heir to this fortune. And when he, when he graduated from secondary school, uh, his parents sent him on a trip around the world. And it was on this trip around the world that William Borden started to see 
the, the ways that his life was different from these other people's. He started to see poverty and sickness. He started to see suffering and, and hardship. And his eyes began to be open to the, 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 the plight of the, in the world around him, uh, but also to the possibility that God might want to use him to bring hope to those people. And so he came back from that trip and he made the decision that he was going to go uh, and train to be a missionary in order to go out eventually to China. And this was a big shock to his parents. His parents had mapped out his future. You know, they had said, hey, you're going to take over the business and uh, this sort of thing. And, and they thought it was a phase, but they, they tried to talk him out of it. Uh, but he was, uh, he was firm in his decision. So he decided again, he's going to go to college, uh, university. He's going to be a, a missionary and uh, in the back of his Bible, uh, he wrote the words, no reservations. This was the course that he had, he had set himself on, convinced that God was leading him in this direction. And he wasn't going to compromise. So he goes to Yale University and he studies to become a, a, a missionary. And after four years, he graduates at the top of his class. And because of his name... In particular, there were companies that wanted him to come and, and work for him, uh, offer him, you know, offering him a lot of money to, to do that. But he rejected all of them because, again, he'd set his mind on what he felt God had called him to do. And uh, he entered uh, Princeton Seminary. And again, uh, at the back, uh, in the back of his Bible, underneath those words, no reservations, he wrote the words, no return. This was where he was going. This was what God had called him to do. And so he was going to forsake everything else in order to pursue what God had called him to do. No reservation, no return. So he finishes at Princeton Seminary. And he, again, sets his sights on China as the place that God has called them. He, before he gets to China, he takes a boat to Egypt, and he's going to spend a few uh, years in Egypt to do some training before he eventually goes to China. In Egypt, he's only there for a few weeks when he contracts tuberculosis, and it's not too much longer, about two months later, he dies. And after his body and his belongings are returned to his parents, his parents find his old Bible uh, in, his, uh, in his little footlocker, and they see these words that he's written, no reservations, no return. And just before he had died, he wrote the words underneath those, no regrets, no reservation, no return, and no regrets. He had set his sights on what God had called him to amidst all the obstacles of wealth and the promise of fortune. And in a step of faith, he sought to do what God had called him to do. What an incredible story that is. Like, I mean, what would lead someone to do something like that? I mean, that's faith, isn't it? That's big time faith. Maybe a kind of faith that you and I would aspire to. Maybe we think, oh, I don't know if I could ever do anything like that. The kind of faith that, that, that we look to and say, that's an incredible thing. And 
Sure, God calls us to, to different things, but those things require faith too, don't they? Those things require us to, to take steps into areas that are unknown for us. And so what does it take to act in that kind of faith? The faith that against all the obstacles says, this is where God is calling me. This is what I'm going to do. Well, as we come to Genesis chapter 11, uh, remember what we've seen so far. No one is really interested in God's command in Genesis uh, chapter 11, when we get to the end of, of 11. Uh, so in Genesis 11 uh, at Babel, God's going to kind of nudge them out by, by scattering them. Uh, and then after what seems to be a, a, you know, a, a period of silence, God is going to speak to people again for the first time since he spoke to Noah back in chapter 6. And we're going to see here in chapter 12 one of the central figures in the Bible. He's talked about, he's mentioned 230 times in the scriptures. Uh, I think like 70 uh, just in the New Testament. Uh, now, Parg has already told you, uh, you know, it's, it's Abraham. But, you know, if we can understand Abraham and how he functions in the scripture, uh, we can understand the kind of the framework of, of the Bible. He's mentioned so often uh, in the scriptures. And uh, you're not, or you may not be, I don't think anybody here is, is Jewish, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you're related to him, right? Remember the song, Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. He's mentioned, you know, all these times uh, in the scriptures, and by faith in Christ, you're actually related to him. So as we come to the story of Abraham in Genesis 11, uh, at the end, we see uh, Terah, his father, is going to take his, his family to Haran, uh, where they're going to live until Terah dies, at which point Abram is going to make this big move in faith. And incidentally, uh, Abram is the same as Abraham. A little bit later in Abram's story, God is going to change his name to Abraham. And so if I say Abraham or Abram, it's the same, it's the same guy we're, we're talking about, just to to help you with that if that's confusing. But as we think about this opening act in Abraham's story, I want us to consider how God's people obey in faith against the odds. How God's people obey and endure in faith against the odds. Because this is what Abraham does as we look at his story. Abraham obeys in faith against the odds when God calls him to go. Well, God in chapter 12, verse 1, is going to call Abram to leave everything and to go to a place that he can't see. Look, uh, and, and I want us to think about the, the structure here. And uh, look in verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let's just think about these verses for a moment. This, this 
this call here that God gives to Abraham is structured around two imperatives, two commands that God gives, and then the responses that God has to Abraham's obedience in those two commands. So you can see the structure uh, on the screen. So Abraham first is commanded to go. And as he's commanded to go, he's then commanded to be an agent and an example of blessing to those around him. So God says uh, to Abram, go from your country to the land that I will show you. He's commanded here to leave uh, everything that he's known and to go somewhere unknown. Uh, John Calvin in his commentary said to go forth with eyes closed. So I don't know if you've ever done one of those kind of trust games where you blindfold, uh, you know, you blindfold someone and then you kind of lead them around and they have to follow your voice. You did, they don't really know where they're going. This was the way Calvin described what happens here. God says, I want you to go and you just go and I'll tell you when you're there, right? Like just go till I tell you to stop and, and then that's what we'll do. Uh, and then as a condition of obedience to the first command, God gives him a second command at the end of verse 2. To be a blessing. To be a blessing. Now there's a, the, God promises here to move in response to Abraham. But there was nothing in Abraham that God should have chosen him. When we get to, to Joshua 24, as the Israelites are, are in this, this land, uh, in, in Joshua, Joshua makes the statement in verse 2 that, that Abraham and his father and their family, they were, they were worshiping other gods. There was nothing in Abraham that God should have chosen him. It was purely an act of grace that God chooses to involve Abraham in his purposes. So in that sense, the, the promise that God makes to Abraham, these are unconditional in that sense because they were not earned, right? But Abraham can't fulfill this second command to be a blessing unless he obeys the first command to go. He, 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 there's a, a, an implied conditionality because he can't fulfill the second without obeying the first. God says, go and be a blessing. But he can't be a blessing in the way God wants him to unless he goes. It would be like me saying to you, go to the shop and buy a liter of milk. There's two commands there, but you can't obey the second one unless you obey the first one. That makes sense? So this is what God is doing. He's giving him two commands, go and be a blessing. And within those He's, God is going to respond as Abraham goes in obedience. So here's God's response. What does God promise to do here? Well, in response to, to Abraham's obedience, God promises to bless him. In verses 1 to 3, we see the word bless five times. In all of chapters 1 through 11, in total, we've seen the word bless five times to this point. And immediately in three verses, we see the word bless five times as God responds uh, to Abraham's obedience, promises to respond to Abraham's obedience. This is a turning point in the story to this point. 
And in a lot of ways, this is parallel to what we saw in the Garden of Eden. Remember Adam in the garden. He has uh, a land. He has the garden. He's called to be fruitful and multiply. And he's given a dominion. He, he's given uh, an authority over a, a, an area, right? And in the same way, what God promises Abraham uh, in verse 1 or verse 2, I will make you a great nation. There's a dominion uh, that demands people, doesn't it? It demands uh, fruit. Uh, it demands that, that he, he multiplies. And I will bless you and make your name great. And you will be a blessing. So we see this idea of land and seed and a nation or a dominion that God promises to give Abraham in response to his obedience. And he is going to be an agent and an example of blessing. God says, be a blessing. Uh, and then he, he's, uh, he says in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, one Bible scholar, Christopher Wright, he talks about a top line and a bottom line way in which these promises are fulfilled in Abraham's life. So notice in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. See, God is going to attach himself. Uh, God's going to attach himself to uh, Abraham. And in attaching himself to Abraham, those around Abraham who bless him are in one sense blessing God. And those who curse him are in one sense rejecting God and rejecting the blessing of God. And so in that sense, God, in attaching himself to Abraham, uh, is going to bless not only Abraham, but we'll see as we go through the Old Testament, the nation that comes from Abraham. So Israel is going to be blessed as God's people because of their connection to Abraham. That's the top line of, of blessing that Christopher Wright talks about. But there's a bottom line as well, because ultimately, who's going to be blessed by Abraham? All the nations of the earth. And so this is ultimately fulfilled uh, in Christ, as through Christ, the nations come into God's blessing because of their connection to Abraham. And so by the time we get to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 3, Peter says, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's chapter 12, verse 3 of Genesis. And then later, the apostle Paul in Galatians 3 is going to say, consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's Genesis 15. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. So that's where we get the song. Those that believe in Christ become spiritual children of Abraham. Here's what he says. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. Where did he do that? Right here in chapter 12, verse 3. That's what Paul says. He says... Uh, announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. 
And so those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So again, God is going to attach himself to Abraham. And as we, through faith, attach ourselves to that seed of Abraham, Jesus, then we become attached to the blessing of Abraham. We become a part of God's people. And that's the bottom line, the ultimate sense in which verse 3 is fulfilled. So what we see is God is calling Abraham to go. He's calling him to be a blessing. And that blessing is going to work itself out in the near term, in Abraham's life, in the nation of Israel. But ultimately, we are the ones that also benefit from that blessing, right? So, This is where we are when we get to the end of verse 3. Two commands and then God's responses as Abraham obeys those commands. That's the call that Abraham gets. But there's also a cost, isn't there? There's obstacles, aren't there? As you read Abraham's story, you see that, hold on, this isn't necessarily easy, what God is calling Abraham to do. The blessing and the promise, they don't come without a cost. Now again, there's conditional and unconditional aspects here. Abraham isn't chosen because of anything in himself. But his enjoyment of the blessing that God is holding out for him, his enjoyment of that blessing is dependent upon him doing what God has called him to do. Right? And so there are are obstacles that stand in the way of that. Let's think about some of those obstacles What does Abraham have to leave in order to be obedient to this call of God? Well, in verse 1, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. He has to leave what he has known. He has to leave his relatives. Uh, He has to leave most of his near household, his kinship group, in order to go out in obedience to this command. In in the second part of verse 1, he says to go to the land that I will show you. God doesn't drop a map down from heaven and say, okay, here's the X. This is where you're going, all right? Google Maps, you use the best way to get to it. This is where you're going. He says, no, just go. Leave and go to the land that I will show you. He's alone Again, he's left his his kinship group. Uh, And and there's a little interesting, just, it's an interesting verse. It's almost just thrown in in chapter 11, verse 30. His wife, Sarah, is barren. Again, God is promising him uh, descendants, and yet his wife is barren. Okay, how do I trust that, God? Uh, this, this is an obstacle, isn't it? He's alone and his wife is barren, and yet God promises to make a great nation of him. Uh, God is calling him to, to give up his security, the security that he, he would have within his kinship group, his larger family unit. He's calling him to give up his family's gods. He's calling him to give up. Now, Abraham is a wealthy man, but he's calling uh, him to give up his larger wealth, family wealth. He's calling him to give up the land that he's currently standing on, right? His, his, his home that he's currently in, he's calling him to give that up 
in order to go and make a new home somewhere else. Uh, Derek Kidner, one commentator, said God's calling him to exchange the known for the unknown. To exchange the known for the unknown. To leave the land that he's standing on to go to a land that he cannot see. To leave the family that he has. To embrace a family that he does not yet have. But one that is promised to him. In short, everything that God is calling him to. God is calling Abraham to come under his care and protection. To leave every, uh, everything that he has trusted in, in terms of care and protection, and to entrust himself to God for his care and protection as he goes out. And so, what does Abraham do in response to this incredible call? Well, in verse 4, he, he says, God, give me a few months to think about it. Uh, God, maybe you can fax me over the, the contract and the terms here of agreement. You know, the things that we're agreeing to. Or maybe you can give me a little bit more information about what it is you're calling me to. No, what's Abraham's response? Well, in verse 4, it says, all it says, So Abram went. So Abram went, as the Lord called him. So Abram Went. He obeys in going to this land that God is going to give him with nothing but the promises that God has made to him. He goes. He obeys even though he cannot see where God is sending him. So Abram went, verse 4, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brothers, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Now, just as an aside, okay, I want to make an observation here. When God chooses Abram to bless him, when he chooses him to use him in his promise, I want you to notice that God doesn't immediately whisk him away to paradise. Uh, he doesn't remove him from all of his troubles and place him in glory. When God chooses Abram to use him for his purpose, he sends him on a journey in order to plant him right next door to the most wicked people of the day. The Canaanites. These are his neighbors. You think your neighbors are bad. Uh, this is Sodom and Gomorrah we're going to read about, right? So God doesn't choose and rescue Abraham to, to remove him. He's going to use him as a blessing by planting him right next door to the most wicked people on earth. We'll come back to that as we continue on in his story. But Abraham responds to God even though he does not see where God is leading him. Now, we'll talk about this in a second. Abraham sees something, doesn't he? But he doesn't see what is immediately in front of him, and yet he goes. He doesn't do a cost-benefit analysis uh, he, he doesn't, you know, make a list of pros and cons. Do I, do I obey God? Here's the reasons why I should. Here's the reasons why I shouldn't. He doesn't do that. The text says, so Abram went. 
No contract, no detailed plan, just a promise. Just a promise. And though they are strangers in this land as they make their way into Canaan, they worship and bear witness to this God that has called them. So look in verse 6. Abram passed through. He's in the land of Canaan. He's passing through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. Almost certainly these are places of worship uh, within the land of, of Canaan. He's going to pass through there. Uh, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Verse 7, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. And so he built there an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. What do you do in an altar? You worship. So Abram, in the midst of this foreign land, is going to worship and bear witness to the God that has called him. Talk about being outnumbered. It's Abraham and those that are with him and all of the Canaanites. And yet Abraham is going to worship and bear witness to Yahweh. In fact, uh, he's going to do it again at Bethel in verse 8. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And then there's this phrase, and called upon the name of the Lord. And many scholars argue that that is not just an act of worship, but even an act of evangelism where he is bearing witness in this foreign land to Yahweh, to the God that has called him. So in one sense, Abraham responding in faith, going to this foreign land, is laying claim to it on behalf of God by worshiping and bearing witness. So this is what Abraham does in response to God's call. He simply obeys. And this is what faith always demands of us, is simple obedience. Abraham, he doesn't kind of hem and haw when God calls. You know, he just goes. He doesn't compartmentalize. He doesn't say, you know what, God, we had a deal. This is mine. And this is yours. You can ask me to do certain things, but you can't ask me to do that. That's too much. He, he doesn't do that. He gives all of himself. All of life is God's. And he goes, we know later, because he believes. Because he trusts in the promise of God. Genesis 15 he believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. That gets repeated in Romans 4. We saw it in Galatians uh, 3. It gets repeated later uh, as well. We see his faith in Hebrews 11. He clings to this word of promise that God has given him. And that changes everything. That word of promise that he clings to. And God, uh, as he goes throughout uh, Genesis, throughout the story, we're going to see God strengthen the promise that he makes to him in chapter 12. In chapter 15, he's going to ratify it in, in, a, in covenant language. In chapter 17, he's going to reiterate it. Uh, in chapter 22, he's going to confirm it with an oath. God is. And he does all of that. Hebrews chapter 6 tells us God does all of that in order to strengthen Abraham's faith. To strengthen his reliance upon the Lord. And through it all, 
God is going to prove himself faithful to the promise that he's made to Abraham. He's going to prove himself faithful to the promise, and he's going to demonstrate his ability to bring it about in spite of all the odds and opposition. And this covenant that God makes with Abraham sets up certainly the rest of Scripture, but it sets up the rest of Abraham's story. And so we're going to see as we track the story of Abraham, we're going to see ups and downs. We're going to see highs and lows. We're going to see places where it seems like this covenant promise that God has made is hanging by a thread. Even next week, we're going to see that. And yet God is going to prove himself faithful in his ability to deliver on the promise. And this is true as God calls us to obey in faith when we don't understand as well. The same call that God gave to Abraham, in one sense, he gives to us to follow him into the unknown, to follow him not knowing what the immediate future holds, but simply to trust in the promises that he's made, to entrust ourselves fully to his care and protection. Oh, it's so easy to trust in our own ability to somehow provide for ourselves or to manage the circumstances. But, but, but God calls us to something deeper than that. He calls us to entrust ourselves to his care and to his protection, to be committed to his purposes over our own. And again, we can't always see the path that that's going to take. Just like Abraham couldn't see the, the path in front of him. But we're called to keep moving forward in faith. Believing that God is faithful and that he's able to do what he promised to do. So how do we do that? How do we obey in faith moving where God calls even when the obstacles seem overwhelming? Well, when we look, and let me just invite you to turn over to Hebrews 11 real quick. When we look at Abraham through the lens of Hebrews 11, verses 8 to 16 in particular, we see that Abraham, he obeyed in going where God called him to go, but he didn't go without vision. He didn't go without vision. Uh, Abraham saw, he didn't see what was immediately in front of him, but he saw God's invisible future. He saw a certain future that God had for him. He lived as one who was looking to future grace, living in exile, Hebrews tells us, uh, in the very land that God had promised because he was looking to a heavenly city. Verse 8 of Hebrews 11, by faith Abraham obeyed, when he was called out to a place he was to receive, he went out not knowing where he was going. He went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of the same promise. Why did he do that? Verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, the true city, the heavenly city. So he saw all right. He didn't see what was right in front of him. He saw what was ultimate. 
He saw what God had ultimately promised, and that drove his faith and his obedience, believing that God would do whatever was necessary to accomplish his plan. And he died in the same way that he lived in faith. Look at verse uh, 13. These all died in faith, again, lumping the rest of the patriarchs in with Abraham, not having received the things promised. So Abraham, uh, the first bit of land that he owns in the land that God has promised is in chapter 23 of Genesis, and it's just a burial plot for Sarah. So he lives in this land as an exile that God had promised to give him. These all died in faith, not having received what was promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers on the earth. He died never having seen the promise revealed, but he saw it ultimately no less clearly because he saw beyond what was in front of him to what God was going to do, and he trusted it. Now, Abraham wasn't perfect. We'll see that as we go through his story. No one is, and frankly, that should give us hope. Faith is not about being perfect, but Abraham didn't lose sight of that better country, that heavenly city. He welcomed it from a distance. He saw it with the eyes of faith, convinced in his mind that the promise that awaited was much better than whatever it might cost him. Was God pleased? Was God pleased with Abraham's faith? Well, look at verse 16 of Hebrews 11. And this is great. As it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. See, God doesn't have to sneak Abraham in the back door when no one's looking. He holds Abraham up as an example of one whose faith, whose commitment and, 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 and confidence in what God was going to do drove him through whatever obstacles might be in front of him to pursue God in faith. It pleased him and God celebrates it. So much so, we read about him in Hebrews 11. What did Abraham do? One step of faith at a time, for a lifetime, clinging to the promise of God along the way. And so how do we do this? How do we obey in faith even when obstacles seem overwhelming? Same way. One day at a time, for a lifetime, clinging to God's promises along the way. Fixing our eyes on what we cannot see. There's this daily renewal of faith in God's promises. That his promises are true. And so every day I'm going to renew and I'm going to remind myself that God's promises are true. And I can trust him in obeying him. Even if I can't see where I'm going. And this daily commitment to following wherever he might call us to go. God has invited us into this stream of blessing as Abraham's spiritual children. 
And just like Abraham, we become conduits through which this blessing touches other people. As we share Christ with people around us, offering them the life that God offers them. That's our purpose. And that will invite opposition. It will invite obstacles. We will face difficulty in doing that. But God is faithful. And look, if the story of Abraham tells us anything, it should be that. See, ultimately, the story of Abraham is not about Abraham. It's about God, that he is faithful to his promises, that there are no obstacles for him, that we can attach ourselves to him and we can be confident that he will deliver us where he wants us to go, that that future city is certain and nothing can thwart it. So all of that begs a question as we close What is that next step of faith that God is calling you to take? What is the the, the next step that God is leading you and prompting you to take in faith? And what's keeping you from it? Maybe, uh, Maybe it's the question of are you willing to leave behind something that is comfortable to take a step of faith that God is leading you towards. Perhaps for some of you, it's a step to leave a friend or friends or a job or maybe a place. Maybe it's a a, a call to take a step to uh, place your trust in Jesus for salvation. Uh, What is the next step of faith that God is calling you to take? And what is keeping you from it? God always calls us, just like he calls Abraham, to place our trust in him for the next step. What's keeping you from it? What's that step he's calling you to take? Well, this begins the story of Abraham uh, the father of our faith, the, the, the one who obeys the call of God, uh, in, in one sense giving up everything, only clinging to the promise that God gives him. And in his story, we see what faith demands. It demands our obedience as well. But God is good for it. He's able to accomplish his purposes And and, and the more, uh, as we go through the story of Abraham, we'll see more and more the faithfulness of God who doesn't disappoint and doesn't let him down. And he won't let us down either. So, one step at a time, for a lifetime, clinging to his promises along the way. That's how we walk in faith. And that won't disappoint. And when we get to the end, we see the fulfillment of this. Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, listen, from every nation, from all tribes, peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, singing, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. That is the fulfillment 
of what God promises Abraham. As Christopher Wright says, And God in the midst of these resounding praises will turn to Abraham and say, There you are. I kept my promise. Mission accomplished. What is that step of faith, that next step that God's calling you to take? And will you take it? Let's pray. Father, as we think about Abraham, our ancient forefather, we're reminded that this couldn't have been easy for him to do. Making this kind of move in faith amidst all the obstacles that were around him couldn't have been easy. And yet he did. And Father, thank you that as we will see, you are faithful to do what you promised. I pray, Father, for those in this room, those that are listening, Father, that you would work in our hearts. That as you, Father, call us to take a next step in following Jesus, Father, that we might do that that we might take that step in faith, trusting that you are good for it, that you are good to accomplish what you promise. So, Father, whatever that next step is, help us to be people of faith who obey. We thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.